0: Welcome to Fall Classic Rewind, the stories behind the World Series. In today's episode, we are going to be covering the writer's ballot for the Hall of Fame, looking for who will be inducted into the 2024 Hall of Fame class. In the previous episode, we discussed sort of the Veterans Committee or the Contemporary Heiress Committee. Congratulations to Jim Leland, well-deserved, someone who I would have likely have given my vote to, Lou Piniella, one vote shy, yet again, getting treated sort of like Dick Allen uh, in many ways. And uh, obviously, most of the other candidates didn't receive that many votes other than Bill White. This time of year for baseball is, it's a little bit of a tepid hot stove there have been big news obviously Shohei otani going to the dodgers and yamamoto going there as well juan soto getting traded to the yankees but otherwise a lot of unsigned free agents you know heading into the new year it's kind of the standard of how things go and hopefully with the new year coming next week and as we get closer to pitchers and catchers reporting in february There'll be plenty of baseball news to discuss, obviously, on this show. uh, Very soon, we are going to be starting up with the 1977 playoffs, obviously culminating with the World Series between the Dodgers and the Yankees, uh, the first of back-to-back World Series in 77 and 78. But before we get there, I do want to talk about the Hall of Fame. Ballots are going to be due, sort of at the end of this week, right at the, right at the new year. And, uh, we will find out who makes it, um, coming up, uh, you know, in later in January, we usually find out mid late January, uh, the results of the ballot. And this year's ballot is to me, very interesting, have some great new candidates. talk about and that's going to be the main focus of today's episode is talking about the new candidates i did a show last year uh talking about the many of the holdovers who are mostly still there obviously very glad that scott roland uh got in uh he was a someone who i was definitely pushing for to be recognized as a hall of famer and glad to see he is um But before we get into the players who are on this year's ballot, the new guys, and the holdovers who I would definitely consider are people to keep an eye on uh, as you look towards the results, I do want to kind of explain what my process would be or what I think for the Hall of Fame. Because... I mean, ultimately, I actually think the Hall of Fame does a good job, even with giving it to the writers. The writers have, have made some decisions that I don't agree with, but it's very rare that the writers have elected someone who isn't worthy of being the Hall of Fame. They are very discerning, right? Most of the kind of questionable Hall of Famers are usually done by the committees. It's kind of very rare that the writers get it wrong, only in the sense that they don't elect some people. but. Oftentimes, the the people who are very deserving are players who get over fifty percent of the vote. It's just that getting the seventy five percent threshold is really high. Um, I'm a big Hall of Fame type of person. I think it would be better if we had it simply a yes no rather than limiting it to ten. Um, you know, especially when we've seen over these past years, as I discussed in our episode last year, like you had that huge bottleneck where, you know, there were 15, maybe even 18 worthy players from the Hall of Fame, but you have this huge backlog of candidates, so someone like a Kenny Lofton or a Jim Edmonds or, in the past, a Lou Whitaker, they fall off the ballot after one year. They don't even get 5% because, well, they might be the 14th or 15th most deserving candidate on the ballot. Um, I have lots of thoughts on what would be a better way to do things. And, and thankfully, we do have the Veterans Committee this and the Contemporary Errors Committee where this isn't your only shot at it, but it's the main one. And it's the one that kind of matters. But how I evaluate things, there are a couple of criteria that I'm looking at. If I was someone who had a ballot, Right, the things that matter to me, career stats, like counting stats, and all of those things that do matter, right? Thinking about 3,000 hits or 500 home runs, 300 wins, though we're never going to see that again, right? But the advanced stats, you know, looking at something like war, war's not a perfect stat, but in the catch-all sort of stat it is, you look at the greatest players with war and they and it matches up with the eye test for the most part, right? The greatest players, they match up there. So there are certain standards. And by the way, when I look at that, I'm looking at things in terms of position, because that matters in baseball, right? You're going to evaluate a catcher different than you're going to evaluate a first baseman. You're going to evaluate a shortstop different than a corner outfielder and a center fielder different than a pitcher, right? There's a lot of different factors into that of where someone might have a huge amount of counting stats, but when they're a first baseman, well, you expect a first baseman to have great offensive numbers. Whereas a shortstop who's a premier defender and a really good to great hitter is going to maybe get a little bit more of a look. It's the reason why someone like a Barry Larkin, whose batting stats are not necessarily that of a Hall of Famer, but he was a great shortstop and you do you combine those two things you find a hall of famer this will get interesting as we discuss some of the candidates especially on the pitching side because the standard right because it's all about sort of matching a standard jay jaffe who's a great hall of fame writer recommend to read cooperstown casebook or go look at his work does work for fan graphs. He's kind of a great hall of fame historian and his main uh, thing that he's contributed is what's called jaws, which is combining basically your career war with your peak war combining sort of the combination of, Hey, who were the best at their best and who were the best for a long time. And once again, it's the type of thing where you see who fits into there. And the names match up right. And occasionally you see someone in there, it's like, oh, yeah. Now that person was a really great player. Maybe undervalued at their time, but they really put together something great. You know? And so to me, with all the discussions of this, it's like that's sort of the criteria I look at. It's mainly statistics-based, right? But other things like MVP and gold gloves and, all-stars and postseason moments and other impacts on the game right i believe those things matter um not as much of a stickler for the character clause as others you know when it comes to peds i'll have a discussion later about (laughs) about this um you know because i'm someone who would have voted for bonds and clemens because they're just like two best players i've ever seen personally right and um they also played in a time where it technically wasn't against the rules it might have been against the spirit of the game of you know i don't know if it makes sense but i think there is a difference between a-rod and manny ramirez guys who got suspended for peds versus guys who were suspected or admitted to doing it in the 90s and early 2000s before we had testing before we had explicit rules is that ideologically consistent? Does it always make sense? No. Um, I mean, and as we'll see as we discuss this, you know, when it comes to Alex Rodriguez and Mayor Mier- Ramirez, it's a hard time. You have a hard time. To- I have a hard time going through this ballot, looking at who's on this list and saying, well, yeah, I'm going to pick guys other than them, you know, or get to 10 and not have them among the 10 players I would vote for the Hall of Fame. Which is why I wish there was kind of more ex- explicit standards and more of a yes or no, rather than dragging on this process as long as it goes. Don't mean to keep rambling here, but, but that's those are the type of things that I evaluate when looking at the Hall of Fame. And so now getting to this year's ballot. Obviously, we've got holdovers like Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, who are really close. They're the types of guys who I would likely vote for. You have other people who are kind of stuck where they are um, for various reasons. When you're looking at an Andy Pettit or an Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez. Sheffield has made strides, but he's probably out of time seeing that it's his final year. Um, and then there's someone like an Omar Vizquel who... You know, borderline Hall of Fame player, had a case, was making strides, but then things came out about Omar Vizquel, the person who part of the credit that he got in his career was for being a really good guy. And it turns out he was not a really good guy. Um, And so that has really sort of in many ways hampered his case, perhaps for good reason. But I want to start with the new guys on the ballot. Of course, Adrian Beltre. Adrian Beltre, first guy on the list. The best player probably on this ballot, not named Alex Rodriguez. You know, you look at his career, Adrian Beltre, over 3,000 hits, 3,166 hits. That is good for 18th all time. For a third baseman, he's 11th in doubles, 33rd in home runs with 337. Sorry, 477 was getting the 33 mixed up in there. Five gold gloves, four silver sluggers, four-time all-star, a bunch of top 10 MVPs. Adrian Beltre is a Hall of Famer. He's going to get in um but what i find fascinating about his career right is through age 30 despite picking up a lot of hits 1700 hits having a top two finish in mvp with a 48 homer season, his 2004 like walk year is one of the best walk years you'll ever have but his time in seattle was not that great you know so through age 30 think about this you know despite picking up 1700 hits around 250 home runs, Adrian Beltre just had a 105 OPS bus. He was just 5% above league average, which, you know, for a great defensive third baseman, it's pretty good. But nowhere during this time were we thinking, Adrian Beltre, now that's a future Hall of Famer. People remembered that great season he had with the Dodgers, but for the most part, it was kind of just like, yeah, no, Adrian Beltre good player, but uh, maybe he's going to be on the wrong side of 30. Who knows? A lot of players make their Hall of Fame careers. They have their best seasons in their 20s. Adrian Beltre, kind of like a Carlton Fisk. um, And there have been others examples of this, especially kind of more on the pitching front. When you think of someone like a Randy Johnson, he made his Hall of Fame career in his 30s. Think about this past the age of 30. So, when he went to Boston for a one year pillow deal and then went to Texas, nearly 1,500 hits, 227 home runs, 130 OPS plus, 30% above league average. Four time All Star. I'd never made an All Star before that. Three time Silver Slugger, three times Gold Gloves, five times finishing in the top 10 in MVP. You know, this is a guy who, and then on the advanced stats, through age 30, had 44 career WAR. Up until age 39, basically the other half, 49 war A lot of it on defense. He's one of the all-time best third basemen. I mean, that's just what's interesting about Adrian Beltre is he wasn't the guy that we thought of when he was first playing as a young player like you do with a Juan Soto or Bryce Harper or Mike Trout, you know, that you're like, oh, well, this guy's up young and he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Well, he was a good player, but eh. It was just sort of kind of an afterthought, right? You know, just a good player. And then he poured it on in his 30s, making himself a Hall of Famer. And he was going to be that, like, probably even if he hadn't reached 3,000 hits. But here we're going to have our first highlight. Our friend Matt Hicks of KRLD on the call because it was the middle of the game. He was taken over for Eric Nadel in the middle innings of this game. Here he is against the Orioles on a summer day in 2017, with a chance to get his 3,000th career hit and essentially solidify his case as a Hall of Famer and one of the best third basemen of all time. Batting while Nomar was batting, we had shade, but as Adrian comes to bat,
1: the clouds part, the sun is shining. 3-0, oh. here's the pitch. Swing and a hard hit ball, inside third, base hit, down the left field line. Mazzara gets to third, Adrian going to second, he's got a double for 3,000. Adrian coming away from second, looking as a banner has been unveiled, Adrian Beltre, 3,000 career hits. He does it with a double, and with his team behind him, his family coming to greet him, his son Junior leaps into his arms, his other kids, Cassandra and Canila, hugging him, and uh, shortly his wife, Sandra, emerging from the seats near the dugout, will come out to give Adrian a big hug. A huge moment for
0: Adrian Beltre. I remember watching that game on Masson. Uh, with Gary Thorne, and uh, it might have been Jim Palmer, might have been Mike Bordick on the call back then in in 2017, but just remembering, like, I just knew that game, Beltre was getting close, had to make sure uh, that I was watching that because uh, you don't get a chance to see that many of these, right? We've had quite a few kind of in the past decade when you think about Derek Jeter, A-Rod, Albert Pujols, Ichiro, um, but man, what a special moment, his family coming onto the field, his teammates coming out, touching his head. If you recall, Beltre had a huge thing about not being, uh, touched on the head. And, you know, of course his friendship with Felix Hernandez, a beloved, beloved player, a guy who went out and played the only third baseman to play more games at third base, right? Is the now late Brooks Robinson. Only guy with more, basically, defense. The only guy who you can definitively say is a better defensive third baseman than Adrian Beltre is Brooks Robbins. All right? You know, other guys, Brett, Mike Schmidt, if you want to call Molitor a third baseman, Wade Boggs, those guys were better hitters than Beltre and, you know, accumulated different things but on the defensive end, man, Beltray was special. And he's definitely going to earn his spot in Cooperstown. Probably going to be north of 90%. We've already seen a, like a few things following the uh, Ryan Thibodeau's uh, tracker, um, which people kind of hold on to their ballots more now than they used to in past years. We would have a lot more and have a lot better idea of predicting who's gonna get in, um, you know, but yeah, it, people have changed it, have kind of changed when they release that information and all of that, um, but anyway, Adrian Beltre going to be well-deserved, definitely basically the first name I would check off on this ballot, because again, just kind of describing my process, every year is a new ballot, where that's where you've got to consider the new guys um you got to do things in a certain order. I mean basically it's sort of you re-rank the players every year essentially that's my thought. And I give a little bit of special precedence to guys in their first year and guys in their final year. The next person to talk about is the Minnesota boy himself Joe Mauer. Now Joe Mauer it's a very interesting case. Because if he had spent his whole career as a catcher, even the like the later years, there's no doubt he's a Hall of Famer. There's there's not there is not any doubt in my mind that he'd be a Hall of Famer. Because you're talking about a guy with over two thousand career hits, hit over three hundred for his career, twenty four percent above league average. Uh, By the way, having an MVP, one of a great all time year. Gold Gloves, Silver Sluggers, beloved player. The issue, of course, with Joe Maurer's case is the fact that he did not spend his entire career as a catcher. In fact, he actually technically played more games not as a catcher. It's just about 50-50, though, right? Um, bulk, The bulk of his career he spent as a primary catcher, it's just the final five years because of concussions, He no longer caught, and he was a first baseman. And so he added on some counting stats and kind of onto his war total to get it over 50 and get over 2,000 hits and 400 doubles. But his Hall of Fame work was done in his first, like, 9 to 10 seasons. It's really eight full seasons as a catcher. He had one sort of half season that he was injured, and his rookie year, he only played 35 games. But again, this is a guy who in that time period, as a primary catcher, had a slash line of 323, 405, 469, good for a 135 OPS plus, right? That's Hall of Fame level from a catcher. That is elite, and by the way, a really good defender in that time period as well. That's the time where he won an MVP, had multiple top 10 finishes in MVP, was a three-time batting champ as a catcher? I mean, come on, right? As in with the advanced stats, and the way I look at it, right, those first years, it's very similar to like Buster Posey's career, where you have an MVP, you have really great offense from a catcher who also provided great defense, a beloved guy. It's just that you also throw on five years of him being Casey Kochman or James Loney um if he had done those as a catcher which is kind of buster posey of course had a great final season but he also had a couple years of not necessarily being a great hitter being an above average hitter um you know but he did those as a catcher so they're kind of more valuable than they were for joe mauer but they're very similar in my eyes and buster posey is a sure Sure, fire a Hall of Famer. Does he, is he just gained that credit because he's a three time World Series champ versus Maurer, who had to deal with the horrid Twins' terrible playoff luck? You know, <laughs> I don't use postseason to punish somebody, right? Or lack of postseason success to say, well, this guy can't be a Hall of Famer because he didn't succeed in the postseason. It doesn't really matter to me. It elevates a player, certainly, but it's not going to be used against them in my book. So for Joe Maurer, I look at him and I'm like, yeah, it's a Hall of Famer. You thought of him as a Hall of Famer in his time. It's just that you don't have as much of the, the rest of the career there. The one thing that is important, though, is comparing to your position of all time, but also within your time. There was no doubt during that time period, Joe Maurer was the best catcher in baseball, right? For that eight year period, Joe Maurer was the best catcher in baseball. Before him, it's Ivan Rodriguez. After him, it's Buster Posey. Yadier Merlina was a great, probably top five catcher for for a very long time. And um, he's probably gonna get in the Hall of Fame but like uh, that matters to me too right when you're how are you against your peers of all time but also within your time i think it matters a lot and so for me i couldn't get through this ballot and not include joe mauer and what i also think of was his final game <laughs> what's interesting about uh The three new guys on the ballot who I like a lot, they were great doubles hitters. Adrian Beltre, his 3,000th hit was a double. Joe Maurer, his final hit, final home game at Target Field in his hometown, his home state, a double. And then the next guy was another great doubles hitter. But after that, after he gets his final hit, they have a lead going into the ninth inning, and with Dick Bremer and the Hall of Famer Burt Blylevin on the call for what was then Fox Sports North, it's now called Bally Sports, Joe Maurer was going to suit up in his catcher's gear and get behind the plate one more time. And, well, just take a listen to a great final moment for Joe Maurer's career. A Hall of Fame career, in my opinion. Game of the year, and with a one-run lead, the Twins are going to change pitchers and catchers. very touching final moment for the great career of a beloved baseball man Joe Maurer I mean listen to that crowd and I I encourage you to go watch the video the The emotion on his face and they didn't show it there but he goes in I believe Matt Belisle was on the mound delivers a strike Mauer, like second nature frames it up perfectly Ah, he was special, man. Like he was such a great player. It, it, we talk about this thing, and 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 sometimes it can be a little. Our nostalgia can overrate things, but you know he was the type of player where you're like you're looking at him, and you and you know it's a Hall of Famer, uh, and you're just hoping the career was long enough. And I think it was just long enough for Mauer as opposed to a new guy on the ballot like a David Wright, where David Wright has about eight or nine seasons that are great, but when you're a third baseman, you're going to want more longevity versus a catcher. This is, again, comparing positions, right? This is where it matters of, I'm a little bit more forgiving to a shortened career for the brutal position of catcher, whereas, Hey, the other great third baseman of all time played a really, really long time. And that's unfortunate for David Wright, who is a Hall of Fame caliber caliber talent, put up Hall of Fame caliber years, just not enough of them. But, you know, he's the type of person where if some other guys had been cleared off the ballot, for sure I'd consider vo- a vote for David Wright. Um, you know, and he, he's probably a player who might be able to survive the 5%, and maybe we can think about those things. Anyway, Joe Maurer for sure would be a Hall of Famer on my ballot. The last of the new guys that I want to talk about at length is the Phillies' second baseman, gritty, spark plug, or as Harry Callis would call him, the man. Chase Utley. When I think about Chase Utley, I just think of the player I feared most, maybe other than Raul Ibanez. But I I grew up a Nationals fan, and that, you know, the first years of the Nationals were when the Phillies were at their peak, right? With Chase Utley, Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, Jason Worth, and Cole Hamels and Roy Halladay and all of that. I mean, just... They were a juggernaut, man. And there wasn't a hitter I feared more than Chase Utley. Right? Even though, yeah, Ryan Howard was the one who always cleaned up with the Grand Slam. Um, Or, I'm telling you, it was always Raul Albanez. I don't know why. Raul Albanez. I just remember, (laughs) this is a small little tangent here, but there was a time where he was like 0 for 40. And then he came up with like a two-homer game against the Nationals or something like that. I mean... Crazy, crazy things, I know, I know. But Chase Utley, from the years basically 2005 to 2010, he was one of the 10 best players in baseball. He just simply was. And probably should have won an MVP either over... uh, howard or rollins one of his teammates um but man he w- he was the engine that made them go um so think about this from 2005 to 2010 as a sec- as a gold glove caliber second baseman who by the way if it weren't for a guy who was also on this ballot brandon phillips who was kind of more known for the spectacular play and brandon phillips was a great defensive second baseman um, but there a little bit more consistency there from Chase Utley, who could make the spectacular play himself. Also, by the way, Orlando Hudson. Uh, once again, another tremendous guy, but Hudson and Phillips won like six consecutive gold gloves in a time period when Chase Utley was probably the best defensive second baseman in the National League, uh, but never won a gold glove in his career. Not even like a kind of later career Lorenzo Kane well, basically, um, lifetime achievement award uh, gold glove, which some guys get in their late careers. But in that six-year time frame, a 298, 388, 523 slash line, a 133 OPS plus from a second baseman, right? Like, that's elite. I mean, that's elite for a first baseman or a corner outfielder, but this is coming from second base, not to mention a guy who was one of the best base runners in the game. He and Jason Wirth are two of the most efficient base runners you're ever going to see. And, like, you know, so a guy who also could pop you 30-something home runs, too, drive in 100, score over 100, just a dog on the field, man. Uh, And it even continued basically up until about 2013, 2014. He was still a really significant player you know he goes from being like an average seven and a half, seven and a half to eight war player to being like a four war player you know the, the case for chase Utley is a sabermetric case is a case for the advanced stats it's in a case for peak because ultimately chase Utley only has 1885 career hits it's rare for hitters who are not catchers to make the hall of fame without having reached 2000 hits now plenty of walks and hit by pitches hit by pitch over 200 times in his career so he reached base a lot in his career i mean think about the 724 walks so he reached base nearly actually in, in fact o- nearly over 3000 times in his career um, and by the way, a career that wasn't necessarily that long—you know, less than eight thousand plate appearances. When guys, you know, typically when we're talking about Hall of Famers, we're talking about guys who have ten thousand plate appearances. So the career counting stats are not necessarily there for Chase Utley. But I think there's a really strong case for him for second base. I fear that he's going to be like a Lou Whitaker or a Bobby Gritch, you know, these guys who kind of get a little bit forgotten. I doubt that will happen as much. Both of those were guys who got 5%ed, by the way. That's not going to happen with Utley. There's enough attention on him and enough recognition for advanced stats now that he's going to stay on the ballot. Uh, but I think it's going to take him a few years, right? I He's not the type of guy who's like, oh, going to be in the Hall of Fame in two or three years. Uh, voting cycles. Eh, it might take seven or eight uh, for him to really gain that momentum and gain that recognition. Uh, I will make a quick note as well about Jimmy Rollins, who's also on the ballot. Um, there's a case to be made for him. I think it falls short. You know, Rollins had some very good seasons, but many seasons he was kind of simply above average uh and is also once again a guy who doesn't necessarily have that great career counting stats um and he had years of being a great defensive shortstop not as long as maybe his accolades would indicate uh but if you would want to vote for both of these guys a a a double play tandem who was who were spark plugs at the top of the order and just great, great baseball guys, I've got no problem with that. I think there's players who would be ahead of Jimmy Rollins, but not ahead of Chase Utley, in my viewpoint. Last note on Chase Utley. Some great postseason performances, basically from the NLCS against the Dodgers in 2008 to the World Series in 2009. This was a dude who just went on a tear, scored about a run per game. So think about this. This was like he played 25 games in that stretch, scored 24, hit nine home runs, including five in the 2009 World Series, which still, by the way, five home runs in the World Series, I believe it's still the record. Now George Springer has tied it uh, in 2017. Obviously Reggie Jackson, the OG to do it. But also, you know, so this was a guy who was a spark plug and performed at the highest level. But perhaps there is no greater sequence, right? This was early in his career, 2006, uh, that kind of the thing that endeared him to Philly, a blue-collar town, blue-collar fan base, a team that loves you if you play hard. And there was nothing clearer than Chase Utley Went out there and played hard. Sometimes he might hurt a guy, like what happened with Ruben Tejada, but there was no doubt that Chase Utley was going to do what it took to win, and he was just going to find a way to hustle, play hard, dive, come up with the big hit, stick his arm in there to get hit by pitch, right? Like, this was a guy you loved to root for, if he was on your team and you hated to play against because he was a nuisance, right? He, and it wasn't just the pesky nuisance. He could also hit the ball out of the ballpark too, right? But, but that's the thing of, man, he's a thorn in your side and you're scared of him too. Like that combination, right? In my view, I always thought of Chase Utley as a Hall of Fame type player, even though I have members of my own family who are Phillies fans who are like, yeah, well, no, I thought maybe Jimmy Rollins or even Ryan Howard were more Hall of Famers than Utley. Like, he's the type of guy who might even go underappreciated by his own fan base. Uh, I mean, not really underappreciated. They love Chase Utley. But because late 2000s, we weren't necessarily thinking in terms of Saber metrics and the value of that, right? Chase Utley wasn't always the guy out there putting up the baseline numbers that you love, but behind the scenes, when you really dig into it, he was such an essential cog in the system. And here's a play in 2006 against the Braves, just a regular season game. But there's a great call here from Harry Callison, I believe it's Chris Wheeler on WIP Phillies radio where Chase Utley, he got his nickname because he'd go do things like this in games that mattered. Driven to deep left
1: center field. This ball is extra bases. One hopping off the fence. Nunez scores. Rollins scores. Flying around third. Victorino, he scores a bases loaded double. Chase Utley. And the Phillies have taken a five to three lead here in the seventh inning. Big, big clutch blow by Chase. Well, those bases loaded numbers just went up. Oh, Fifty eight wow. runs batted in. Now with the bases loaded. He knew they were committed to get him out of way. And he wasn't going to let them get him out of the way. So Throws a slider it hung a little bit and he crushed that ball to left center. But that's a great job by Utley to get up on the plate a little bit and say, you're not getting me out of way. And victorino of course at first base that, <laughs> that was, was right, something to watch right on the heels of jay roll there goes chase and this is chopped to mcbride he oh, throws chase is going to keep going and he's safe at home plate oh. chase Utley, you are the man wow what a base running play after a bases clearing double of the phillies lead it six to three oh, he's and that's just great hustle he's trying to steal third on that play and when that ball was chopped high in the air he that's just him he just kept on coming and they got to get the out at first they don't think he's scoring from third and then the throw home is too late that's just that's fun that's fun to watch speed on those last two plays getting more runs nothing like it well chase gets his
0: teammate ryan howard to run bad at he really was the man, a great, great player, beloved by Philly. And like I said, the guy you love to root for and you hate playing against, That there's like, there's like almost no greater compliment to a player and perhaps their style of play uh, than, man, I hate that guy. He's always beaten us. Uh, Chase Utley, don't expect that he will make it. It'll be interesting to see what percentage of the vote he gets. Like, is he a guy who comes in around 30 40% or is it going to be more like 20%? Uh, you know, because looking at guys like Scott Rowland and, um, and there have been others who have started around, or Larry Walker, who have started very close, dangerously close to that 5%. And then they end up getting in on the ballot. So I'll be very curious to see where Chase Utley falls. I think that will be the last of the new guys that I would vote for because because of the holdovers, I think, are above the rest of the guys on this list, including uh, like a David Wright. I'll come back to a few kind of nods to the new guys on the ballot after I talk about who I would consider among the holdovers. Obviously, the first question, A-Rod, Manny Ramirez, they're the best two players on this ballot, best two hitters on this ballot. Um, the question is, what are your thoughts on PEDs? I kind of, you know, I, I torture my mind a little bit in thinking, well, is there a difference between guys who get suspended versus guys who don't, or those who are sus- suspected and those who aren't? Um. And so for me, I'm like, I've got to address everyone else before I come back to them. Little spoiler here. I think I am going to include them on this ballot um, just because it was going to be hard for me to find anyone else I really, really thought was Hall of Fame worthy. I mean, that's basically my process, right? If I can find 10 other people who are Hall of Fame worthy, my votes are going there. Right and, and really Hall of Fame worthy. Well, I'll get to a couple of guys who are borderline for me. Um, it's just the level of A Rod and Manny Ramirez kind of hard to leave them off your list. If you want to leave comments or get at me on Twitter or whatever to argue your point, uh, just let me know because I think it's a discussion we should have. Right, and we as base as a baseball community, whether it's writers, whether it's fans we have not come to a consensus on where we stand on this for the most part right these guys kind of get the majority of votes from the writers but not enough for that level so there's enough of people who are there's enough of a voting block that says no uh and i'm not gonna say that they're wrong necessarily right Uh, I just want to make sure we're in a process where we are voting people in. We are bringing people into the Hall of Fame. And maybe, just maybe someday, we're thinking we can address this. It's probably going to have to be an heiress committee or some type of thing down the line. But then the next guys to kind of talk about, right... The guy who came closest to election last year, Todd Helton, got over 70%. It's it's hard to know, based off of the tracking, whether or not he's going to get it this year, but I think he deserves it, right? Todd Helton, say what you will about Coors, but, right, he was great everywhere he played. Yes, he was just outstanding, outstanding at Coors. He just didn't end up playing for another team, so we didn't get to see him like a Larry Walker, right? Perform at an elite level on other teams, but also, by the way, we should recognize the greatest Rocky in team history. That's kind of my opinion. I'm I'm also of a believer of guys like Keith Hernandez should be in the Hall of Fame, um, and should be recognized. Like you're, ne- you don't necessarily have to be a slugging first baseman to make the hall of fame you can also be a great defender and just a great hitter so in my book he's a hall of famer next you guys like Carlos beltron andrew jones very kind of similar careers beltron had a little bit more sort of longevity um the andrew jones case right 10 years as one of the best defensive center fielders ever. And the guy hit over 400 career home runs. That's kind of where the discussion ends for me, right? Like he's was just elite defensively. And no matter how you parse it, I, like it was interesting. Jason Stark, uh, in his ballot last year kind of put a thing of, well, I didn't vote for him because I don't know of how actually how elite defensively he was. It's like, no, he was. He, he's the only guys you can say are better are Willie Mays. And and like peak Ken Griffey. That's probably it. Uh, and, oh, by the way, he was a really good hitter who had a precipitous decline once he reached age 30. But I think he did enough. He's kind of the opposite of Adrian Beltre. He did enough beforehand to be in the Hall of Fame. And Carlos Beltran, right? Carlos Beltran's a guy, great defensive center fielder early in his career, amazing postseason success, over 400 career home runs as a switch hitter. Yeah, that guy's a Hall of Famer to me. Um, and I don't care as much about the Astros scandal um, as someone who's like, hey, you still got to hit the pitches, right? Even if you know they're coming. Um, But also other teams around the league were doing similar stuff. People try to go for edges, cheating, trying to get advantages. It's a thing in baseball. It's a lot more widespread and rampant than anyone would like to admit. But those of us who know the game and have played the game at any like somewhat advanced level division three baseball is not that advanced but like no you're searching for edges you're trying to steal signs if you provide technology people are going to try to abuse it right the Astros happen to be the first ones to get caught right and maybe they went further than anyone else but we're we really going to hold that over Carlos Beltran for the rest of his career come on let's be serious here Carlos Beltran's a hall of famer The last two guys I think I would end up having on my list are two guys, one guy who's in the final year of voting and the other guy who's in his ninth year, Gary Sheffield and Billy Wagner. So Sheffield is a guy similar in the A-Rod and Manny boat in the fact that if it weren't for suspicion of PEDs, now for him it's suspicion of PEDs, not ever directly confirmed or admitted uh whereas for manny and a-rod and andy pettit it is he'd be all famer right 500 career home runs one of the most feared sluggers in the league i mean he was it was kind of a mercenary in many ways never like stuck with one team but wherever he went he hit and he hit the crap out of the ball iconic batting stance right like that other thing, too, of why I would consider him is like, man, the way he'd wiggle his bat and stand up there, like, it's a baseball icon in a way. Uh, I think, unfortunately, he is going to fall short. Um, the combination of PEDs, and he was a butcher in the field. There's no easy way to defend it. He, it, If he could have just been a DH for his entire career, he, he might be in the Hall of Fame already, right? Because PED... Uh, suspicion didn't hurt uh, David Ortiz, you know? So in my feeling like, yeah, no, nah, Gary Sheffield, that dude could hit. That dude could hit, man. Um, And just that, I'm telling you, like, I'm just thinking about it now. <laughs> As I'm saying it, I'm moving my hands like Gary Sheffield and how he do it and it's the way he'd snap his bat, right? And he's just just a star, really cool. Billy Wagner is a very interesting case because his 900 innings are about as good of a 900 innings you could throw, the only more dominant closer throughout baseball history regular season is Mariano Rivera who's just in a world of his own. When you're comparing Billy Wagner to the peers he competed against, guys like Joe Nathan, guys like Trevor Hoffman, right? Or even your Lee Smiths and Bruce Suter's. It's like, he was dominant, dominant, dominant. The thing is, you could say, yeah, 900 innings is not enough. And if that's your opinion, that is completely fair that... Yeah, he didn't put up enough. The reason why Dennis Eckersley and in Su- and, and some of these other guys is because they put up more innings. And that is a completely fair point. Um, I just think if Trevor Hoffman's in the Hall of Fame, if Lee Smith is in the Hall of Fame, right? Bruce Sutter, Raleigh Fingers. Gossage is a little bit of a different category too because he pitched forever. Billy Wagner should be in the hall of fame, right? Um, there is also, there is, this is the one thing of where I might allow the postseason criticism. Billy Wagner was terrible in the postseason. Who knows why? Who knows why? Uh, but if he had had some dominant stretches in the postseason and been part of some world series winning teams, again, we'd probably already be talking about Billy Wagner as a hall of famer. Um, so that is something that I do feel is somewhat held against him. Uh, but man, it's like, if if closers are gonna be in the Hall of Fame and the writers and others have decided that closers are in the Hall of Fame, I think we should evaluate him, right? And be serious. So the 10 I would vote for, Carlos Beltran, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, Joe Maurer, Manny Ramirez, Alex Rodriguez, Gary Sheffield, Chase Utley, and Billy Wagner. Now, the tough part for me would be leaving off Mark Burley. That's a tough one because I think as we re-evaluate what it means to be a Hall of Fame starting pitcher, unfortunately for Mark Burley, he's kind of right at the tail end of when guys threw a lot of innings and picked up a lot of wins to where there's going to be guys who come after him who are not going to have the career stats that he did or the kind of, you know, he was never really dominant, uh, but he was just a darn good lefty, right? Um, And I don't have a problem with Mark Burley not making the Hall of Fame, but I really hope he's able to stay on the ballot. Bobby Abreu is another case where if you took away his name, if you took away the name, The numbers are a hall of famer, right? It's like a wow guy with a near 400 on base percentage over 400 steals gold gloves, such a, just like a tremendous hitter for a really, really long time. And then you're just like, oh yeah, it's Bobby Abreu. You're like, your brain breaks a little bit and you're like, Bobby Abreu was that good? Like, I know he won the home run derby, but was he that good? And it's like, yeah, no, nah, he was for a long time. It, other people have said it. I think it was uh, Foolish Baseball on YouTube. It was a great YouTube channel to check out for kind of baseball history and all of this of where he said Hall of Fame stats, zero Hall of Fame vibes. Like, and so it would be tough for me to put him on this ballot. Like, I can't really, in good conscience, say, well, I'm going to put Bobby Abreu and not Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez. I'd have a little bit of a hard time doing that. Uh, Other guys worth consideration in my book. Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit. Steroids hurt him. But for me, this is the funny, like weird, twisted way and why I'm not ideologically consistent. I, I can admit that. I have more of a problem with Andy Pettit telling on his teammates to try to garner sympathy rather than, just saying hey i did it and not implicating anyone else right just taking ownership it was kind of the way how it worked was he was trying to do it and blame and and almost shift blame not really take as much accountability in my book right like he has taken accountability um i just also i i I might have some anti-yankee bias in my blood Just specifically that era of the Yankees. Like, I would much rather it be that Bernie Williams and Jorge Posada were getting consideration rather than Andy Pettit. But. uh, And then, you know, there's guys like Torrey Hunter mentioned Jimmy Rollins. Francisco Rodriguez is also an interesting one. K-Rod for closers, right? If we're evaluating closers, he's actually got a really good case. Um, When you look at the career stats and also some of the individual years of like, wow, he had some, he had some outstanding years, but I'm not going to lose any sleep over him not being there. And we mentioned David Wright, the final guy that I'll mention, you know, and there's of course, Adrian Gonzalez, Matt holiday, Jose Bautista's bat flip that should be in the hall of fame, but the guy I'll end on has one of the greatest moments in MLB history, one of the greatest calls, and one of the best big nicknames. I was gonna say big names, and that should give you an indication on who this is. Bartolo Colon, big sexy. Over 240 wins, a Cy Young, not gonna make the Hall of Fame. But this moment here with Gary Cohn of of SNY on the call. Well, this call should be in the hall of fame looking for his first hit of the year he drives
1: one deep left field that goes upton back near the wall it's out of here Bartolo has done it the impossible has happened the team vacates the dugout as Bartolo takes the long trot his first career home run and there will be nobody in the dugout to greet him (laughs) this is one of the great moments in the history of baseball Bartolo Colon has gone deep I want to say that was one of the longest home run trots I've ever seen but I think that's how fast he runs (laughs) flood up the tunnel and give him his just due. His 226th career bat. <laughs> you knew if he ever made contact in just the right way, he was strong enough to do it. And now Bartolo has brought down the
0: house. Yeah, that call. And Gary Cohn should be in the Hall of Fame. That's going to do it for us here. On today's episode, news about the Hall of Fame and about the election should be coming out uh, probably in the next few weeks. I don't know if they if they've made uh, the announcement um, on when it's going to be, but expect it coming soon. And hopefully we are going to have multiple people elected and enshrined uh, and headed to Cooperstown. For induction. Coming up next on the show uh, will be the 1977 playoffs. I don't know yet wh- uh, whether I'm going to cover the NLCS or ALCS first, but it will either be Dodgers and Phillies, that great matchup there, or Royals and Yankees, getting to see a little Sparky Lyle action. Uh, in his uh, Cy Young campaign in 1977. Until then, catch you next time on Fall Classic Rewind.